rule in the tax code that basically says you can rent out your house for 14 days out of the year and get that income completely tax free. So imagine people that own a golf course, uh, a house on like the Augusta golf course, they can rent their, their, their house out for $5,000 a day or whatever it would be. And that money comes to them completely tax free. Hmm. So they don't have to pay a lick of tax on that. And you're thinking, well, I don't have a house on a golf course. So how do I apply that? Well, you do have or can have executive or officer meetings for your business, okay? And instead of going to, you know, a hotel or a restaurant, um, you can actually have that meeting at your house, okay, and apply that rule to it. So I'll tell a lot of practice owners, call a hotel or a restaurant, get an estimate of how much they, for a whole day for a meeting, you would need to to rent that place out. Let's say let's say it's two thousand bucks a day. Okay. Well, you can do that fourteen days out of the year. That's twenty eight thousand dollars that you can use as a business expense and get that tax free for your household. Hello and welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with. Eric Miller, who is a financial advisor specifically for professional owners. So things like veterinarians, optometrists, physical therapists. And man, I had a great conversation with Eric today. We talked about really um, running your household like a business, some concrete steps that you can take to, um, to just make sure that as a practice owner specifically, but really you can apply these if you're not a practice owner yet, um, or if you're, you're not a practice owner at all and you have no intention to be, how you can apply these principles to your financial situation personally so that you can be thriving uh, in the long term and, and have a, a really solid financial plan uh, for your household. So it was a ton of fun and one of my favorite conversations actually I've had in a long time. I mean, I, I like all my conversations, but I like all the people that I have on. Uh, they've been great, but but this was a really great conversation. Uh, Eric did a great job um, kind of communicating these principles and, and in very solid ways that uh, can be beneficial to, I think, both both personally, but also for our practices as well. So please enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, and share this with your friends, and support those who support us. When COVID hit, one of the changes we made to our practice was that we would ship all contact lenses directly to our patients at no additional charge. Since COVID, we've continued this practice because it allows our patients to receive their contacts in a way that they want and also minimizes staff time and unnecessary exposure risk for our patients and team. CooperVision also recognized this opportunity for our practices to better serve our patients, and they've stepped up to demonstrate their partnership with us. CooperVision is offering free shipping with the purchase of any two multi-packs of CooperVision contact lenses shipped directly to patients on our behalf through July 31st, 2020. 88% of consumers would prefer to have their contact lenses delivered directly to their home rather than pick them up in office. And now is our opportunity to give our patients what they want, all while helping our contact lens revenue in our practice and serving our patients to the best of our ability. Check out CooperVision's program and see the show notes in today's episode. So, um, so anyway, thanks for being on. I um, just give you a little bit of my background and kind of the perspective that I'm approaching with this. I think the uh, when I got out of school in 2008, it was right around the you know the market tumble that happened, and um, and so I had just entered into practice, and you know at that time, you know I look at my I look at the schedule back then. Sometimes I just refresh my memory of like what my patient base looked like, and it was so spotty. I mean, it was super super spotty. 
And so, um, so that obviously gives you financial turmoils because I had student loans. I didn't have nearly what some of the students have now, not even close. But um, one of my answers was to feel like I was really uh, in control of, of the things I could control. And at that time, it was um, not quite as much. I felt like the, the practice was a little bit out of my control, um, but the, my personal finances could be really um, kind of locked down. And, and so coming through that, one of the things that um, was really helpful to me is to say, I don't ever want to be in a position where um, I am worried about being able to support my family. And so we built a big stockpile, right? A big stockpile of cash. And um, well, yeah, thanks. I think the, I think the thing that's um, challenging is that this process really was, was good because a couple things happened is one is I, I started thinking through, well, how much do I need? And so you start doing that math in my practice. It's like, all right, well, we can, if we forget about PPP, this is all before that occurred. Yep. How long can we employ our people? Okay. So we start doing that math. We're not going to take any income. We're not going to, you know, we're going to push, we're going to delay any payments, all those sorts of things that I know you've talked about and, and my listeners have, have, have heard before. And then, um, so how long can I get personally? All right. So I'm starting to do the math. Okay. And, and then and you're kind of like, is that going to be long enough? You know? So I guess, um, all of that to say, I felt like I was in a really good spot. And it turned out that with all of the, um, you know, the payments for PPP and other things that it wound up, we didn't really have to dig too much in. I mean, I'm down for sure. I mean, I had to use some of my reserves, but nowhere right. near where I thought I'd be. And so, um, so anyway, what I was hoping that we could talk about was, you know, the practice uh, financial stuff will probably come into our conversation. But what I was hoping we could talk about was how do we get to the point of, of from our personal finances to be able to weather a storm. This storm was different because we had help from the government because they took some of the stuff from us and they had to pay us for that. Right. Right. But how do we weather any financial that we can personally talk about with you? Well, you know, I think you, you said a couple really key things there. Um, and you know, you're, what you just explained to me, I mean, you're, you're in a bit of a different condition than, than a lot of practice owners that, that I see, because I think a lot of them were woefully unprepared for mm. something like this. Uh, the number of practice owners that have less than, I would say, one month of business reserves to cover any kind of an emergency like this is, um, is a very, very high percentage. So I think the fact that uh, you did have reserves, that you did have cash, it's, it's, it, it's, I'm saluting you with both hands because there's just not a lot of practice owners that, that are in that condition. So Why do they get a, to that point? I mean, is it lack of planning? Is it, um, is it just the cash flow? There's a, a cash flow pinch always that's going to occur. What, what's your perspective on that? Pretty simple. You know, you went to school to learn how to be a practitioner. And you didn't necessarily go to school to learn how to run a business or how to be a good financial manager. So I think that when owners get, you know, when they start running a business, uh, they forget that they have to wear the owner and executive hat and they have to understand personal finances and they have to understand that your business is not just a job, it's an investment. And you have to look at it from that perspective. And a lot of them don't. They just, it's like, this is just where I go to work every single day and, you know, I make money. And, and that's kind of their perspective on it. So, um, you know, what we try to teach, you know, a lot of practice owners is that you have to look at your, your business and run it like a business, but you also have to look at your, your household 
and run that like a business as well. Because at the end, at the end of the day, when you look at your household, we try to treat it like, like a parent company. Like you look at, you're in uh, you're in Omaha, Nebraska, right? Yep, so you're in, you're right. in more, you're in Warren Buffett country. So right. when you, when you look at Berkshire Hathaway, Berkshire Hathaway is like a parent company, right? And then they own uh, a number of businesses, but they're all there to serve the parent company, which is the um, Berkshire Hathaway. So practice owner, you know, you have your household, you have your business. And it's our contention that you really need to run your household like a parent company and make sure that the business can serve the, the financial needs and goals of the, of the household and set up the systems to do that. Okay, so, and, in, oh, go ahead, sorry. Nope, uh, that was it. No, I was going to say, so we're in this scenario right now, and, and, I, and let's pretend like I'm one of the, the many um, practitioners that you see that have, you know, maybe a month's worth of, of financial, or maybe less, yeah. Uh, for their practice. What does that look like in, in their personal life as well? Kind of break that down and then and tell me how what you see and then how do you break through that, get out of it? Well, okay. So personally speaking, uh, when, when we deal with practitioners and, and owners, uh, I tend to see that they have certainly a lot of debt. Debt is a, is a, is a big issue. Just like you mentioned, there's a lot of student loan debt. I think the you know, it seems right now the average student loan debt is right around one hundred and seventy to two hundred thousand dollars of a lot of practitioners. Not to mention the fact that they have, you know, if they if they decided to own a building or you know a lot of them want to have homes and you know a lot of the the debt issues that people have. So that's that's certainly an issue that they have. Um, and then they just don't that they're woefully un, underprepared for how much they actually need to kind of withstand something like this. Nobody really thinks about this. Nobody thinks that there's going to be a government shutdown. I mean, really nobody had the foresight to really consider that, you know? So uh, the underestimation of how much money and resources and assets you actually need, I think is, is a big problem, right? Is a hmm. big problem because when, when you underestimate exactly how much you need, now you, I use this example a lot, like when, when an engineer builds a bridge and it says that it can withstand 5,000 pounds, right? Now, if you had a truck that weighed 5,001 pounds, is that bridge going to crumble? Certainly not, okay? Because they, they included what's called a factor of safety into their equation. So I think a lot of us, uh, when we're running our businesses and looking at our personal finances, we don't consider that factor of safety. Like we have to build more than what we actually think we need to be able to withstand, you know, whatever could occur. So, uh, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of owners think that, hey, if I have $100,000 in my, in my checking accounts, I'm doing pretty good. A lot of them think that, hey, if I have a half million dollars in my 401k, I'm doing good or my practice is doing a million dollars and I'm netting out $200,000 a year. I guess I'm doing good. But, you know, I, I'm quick to remind them your, your one health issue, uh, one uh, bad economic environment, one lawsuit, you know, one rogue employee that tries to embezzle money from you. Uh, and yes, one government shutdown from having 40 to 50% of your wealth taken away from you. So I, I think the mindset just has to change of, Whatever I think that I actually need to be able to navigate, it's let's just double it. Let's just set a better target. Yeah, it's crazy because that's sort of what I 
was was what I was going through is like the first thing and I was talking to my wife about this. I mean, we, we had conversations like, I don't think we have enough. Like, yeah, you know, because you, you don't know, like when, when the first, when all this stuff comes around, um, you know, and, and we had more than what they, you know, if the standard is you want three to six months of an emergency fund, um, you know, we, we had that in our business. Uh, we had that in our personal, but, but the first thing I thought was like, uh, I was like, we're just not enough. And we can start cutting stuff and eliminating this. Like, okay, how can we, can we get a year? Can we get two years? You know? Yeah. So, um, so that's I how guess, you have to start thinking. Yeah. And, I'll, and I'll mention that because, you know, the, the idea that a lot of people have is I want to be financially sound, right? I think that's, that's something that everyone kind of agrees upon. But I'll give you an example of that. You know, I'm, I'm 6'2", 250 pounds, right? And Per like the guidelines, I should weigh like 205 pounds. My blood mm. pressure should be 120 over 80 and my cholesterol should be over a certain percentage. Okay, great. But is that really what I want to be? You know, what if I wanted to be a power lifter? I wanted to be an Ironman and I wanted to be able to run 10 miles and, and swim two miles. You know, what would that, what kind of condition would I need to be in from there? And I think that, that from a, from a financial perspective, you kind of have that same viewpoint, you know, like it's not what, what everyone else is like, what are the standards? It's like, what do I want to be? What level do I want to get to? Right. And that I think is a, is a different way to look at it as opposed to, yeah, if I have three to six months, I'm good. Certainly you need, you need parameters, you need measure measurables. You need to have something that you can benchmarks that you can go against. But, you know, I really try to instill people like, don't think about like, you know, the bare minimum of what you need, pick a level that you want to get to that's definable. That includes how much your net worth would be, how much your income would be, what your debt to assets ratio would be, how much in taxes you're paying, you know, let's pick an actual different a level of, of financial wherewithal that you want to be in start from there, because it really is only restricted by your own viewpoints and considerations, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me try to break this down a little bit. Okay. So let me, I want to try to provide a specific example and then we can throw in additional dollar values that might make sense if I'm, if I'm leaving things out. So let's say I'm a practice owner and yep. um, let's just pick, let's say I'm, I'm on the upswing. I've got a practice that might be worth, uh, it might be grossing $600,000 a year and I might be taking home, um, let's say uh, as an owner and, and paying myself, let's say I'm taking home 30% of that. So 200,000. Okay. Um, which is sort of a, you know, a general trend. Um, yeah. so, uh, so after I'm paying myself as an employee and taking, taking a, a distribution as a, as a practice owner, $200,000 a year, let's say that, um, I've got the $200,000 in student loans. Okay. Um, and maybe I've been able to pay the, the, uh, minimums or the kind of, uh, whatever you call the, um, the payback options that are based on your, your income, income based. Right. Um, and, and so, all right, in your mind, you're advising me, uh, maybe there's, uh, and tell me what other factors do you need to know to know, okay, what, one, how much money do I need in reserve? Maybe I got a, a house that my mortgage is $3,000 a month. Okay. Yeah. Um, what other factors do you need to know to say, okay, this is how much I think you should be, or what, what process would you go through with me to say, this is how much you need to set aside um, this is personally, and how are we going to build and run that household so that, so that our business is serving that, that bigger, uh, parent company? Yeah. So the, one of the first things that I do with every, with every practice owner is, uh, I have them because you, you said something, you get paid 
in three different ways. You, of course, you get paid uh, as a practitioner, but then, you know, and usually a lot of uh, doctors take that as just W-2 wage. They pay themselves a salary, whatever that would be. And then, of course, you have your executive and your owner pay, which are your other responsibilities that you have in running a business. And, uh, you know, for every person that is an owner of a business, I try to set up uh, what's called a wealth storage account where they take the first 10% of your practice revenue and set that aside outside of the business for the singular purpose of creating other income streams outside of the business, okay? (laughs) And the reason that we do that is because when you look at the inherent risk of owning a business, and you've seen it right now, it's not a riskless endeavor. I mean, when when you look at, someone that owns a private practice, it is by and large the riskiest asset that you have because of hmm. the thousand and one things that can go wrong when running a business. And gosh, we, I'm sure we all have stories uh, to tell of, of where that risk is. So not to mention the fact that it's your butt on the line when um, compliance comes in or when you, know, you get audited or when there's a note that's owed, you know, payment on debts. I mean, it's the owner that is responsible for all of that, right? So there has to be some exchange put in from the business to that person in their household. So I think the the most successful action that I've ever done uh, with a a business owner is to tell them, hey, right off the top, take 10% of the, not the business profits, the business revenue. So if you're doing $600,000 a year of revenue, 10% should be taken right off the top, 60 grand a year, should float to the household, and that should be used to create other income streams. Now, from there, you can get into where it should be invested, you know, retirement plans or, you know, real estate or, or whatever other, you know, investable assets you could do. But just getting that action in place, it, it, it's a game changer for a lot of mm, people. It's, yeah. it's a singular game changer if you could really do that. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's the first thing. And then let's say that, um, let's say that I, I'm not, I haven't been good budgeting or I haven't been good at the, the next steps of uh, how, how am I going to, am I going to use that money to pay off any of those other things first? I mean, you know, there's, so just to give you perspective of me, yeah. that 2008 to 2011 time period was in my mind, I was Dave Ramsey in it. I yeah. was beans and rice, pay everything down, you know, <laughs> and, and it was great. We eliminated our student loan debt. You know, we had no car debt. No, I mean, we had no debt, zero debt, except for a house. Right. So we were basically on Dave Ramsey's baby step, whatever. And, um, but that doesn't work for, once you get to the point of what you're talking about, I think Dave Ramsey works really well for like being radical and getting rid of like stuff that you can, that you can, um, eliminate. But as a practice owner, when I look at like, like I look at paying my house off, right. And, and we've, we, we pay a little bit more every month. Uh, we have a 15 year mortgage and now we've got about seven years left and we've been here six years. So, so, or we've been here, um, six years. And we have, yeah, seven years left because we paid a little bit extra, right? Every month. So the point is that, um, that, but I look at the rest of that note and I'm saying, okay, well, it's this lump sum of money. So instead of taking that 60 grand or, you know, in this scenario, right? Let's, instead of taking that 10%, yep. in, should I invest it? And this is where the turmoil in my mind comes is, should I invest it? Should I buy other businesses, build other businesses, start a podcast, you know, like, like all these other things. And, um, and then it's always nagging in the back of my mind. It's like, okay, but I could just pay off this house, right? And, and Dave <laughs> Ramsey is in the back of my mind saying, just pay the house off, pay the house off, pay the house off. So what, what do you think about that? What, straighten yeah. me out. 
I, no, I, look, I think uh, the thing you did, and I listened to your podcast where you have uh, the, the student loan um, guy on, which I thought was, was fascinating, yep. by the way. I thought that was fascinating. Isn't and, it and, interesting? Sorry to stop you, but isn't it interesting for me, the dynamics of the nuances of all these little things were completely beyond my, my comprehension of what new graduates, and that most of them are business owners, many of them are, but what new graduates have to go through to play that game. And I got the sense when I talked to Travis that, that he didn't necessarily agree with the game, but he understood how to it. play it. Yeah. And that's, you, you posed a really good question. I know we're going a little off topic, but I thought you, you posed a really interesting question, which was, hey, you know, I know that there's these forgiveness plans, um, but is it the right thing to do? Right. <laughs> and he had an interesting answer to it. You know, you could see the conflict. He was like, I don't think it is, but that's the game that we're dealt yeah. right now. Right. Yeah. And, you know, to me, when I've seen people like in, in your in your scenario, you come out with all this debt. Right. And I, and I think the right thing to do is to do exactly what you did, which hmm. is to live on beans and rice, which is to just attack getting that debt paid off at that point in time. But as your condition changes. Right. And your confidence changes and your ability to run a business and expand a business changes. You have to be able to navigate your thoughts on money and be able to like think a little bit differently. I think Dave Ramsey is definitely talking to the rank and file. I think he's talking to people that earn a wage and are kind of restricted in how much they make. One of the reasons I started working with owners is because I want to work with someone that does not have any considerations on how much money they can actually make. Hmm. And to answer your, uh, your other question is, you know, you start thinking about like, should I do this or should I do that? It's kind of an either or, right? And I right. always have the consideration, like, let's not think about the either or. Let's set the target of how much money you would need to make personally, okay, to be able to do everything that you want to do, okay? It's always going to be more than what you're making right now, okay? But let's set that target, and then let's give that target to how much the business now needs to create in, in income to be able to handle that, okay? It's a, it's a little bit different way of thinking because now you're not thinking kind of like on a it's either or. It's like, oh, I can do all of this. I just have to know how much the business needs to do. So if you have a practice that's doing 600000 a year and you're making 200000 but your number for to do everything that you just said, to pay off your debt, to be able to put money in reserves, to be able to, you know, have fun and, you know, do the things that you want to do. Well, maybe that number now for your practice is uh, eight fifty. Okay, great. So now I have to start thinking about what do I need to do in the business to create $850,000 in revenue? Do I need to create other income streams? You know, what, what services am I not offering that I can offer? Do I need to train my people better to, to sell? You know what I mean? So I, I, yeah. put the, I put the emphasis on what the business can create. And I've done this with a lot of practice owners. And it's amazing what happens. When I set targets, when you set a target for yourself, that's over and above what you're doing right now. You, it's it's almost miraculous when I go back and I show a practice owner, hey, look, remember when I said that, you know, you need to make this much money and then they'll go back to, and I'll, see, I'll show them their tax returns and they're like, wow, I didn't realize that I did that. And I'm like, yeah, you did that because you took away the consideration that there's only so much money that you can make. Right. And I think that's that that's what changes it. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that that's where I would start. I would just say, let's work backwards. Let's not, let's not think about it, like, when do you want to pay your house off? You know, it's not like I'm going to pay it off. Like, when do you want to pay it off? Right. Yeah. And if you told me five years, I'd be like, great, let's, let's figure out 
how much you have to make to be able to accelerate to get this thing paid off in five years. I'm just trying to take the time out of financial planning because I mm -hmm. think a lot of people look at it and say, I have 20 years, I have 30 years. And I'm like, no, don't think of it that way. Like, you know, think of it like five to seven years. You should want to be in a condition where you're completely financially independent Yeah. at that point where you got multiple income streams, all your bad debts paid off. That should be the target. And that's going to raise the demand for income and production. So, so explain that last piece to me. It's going to raise the demand for income and production. Yep. So uh, break that down a little bit more for me, please. Yeah. You've owned a business for a while right now. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Is, there, is, there, is it real to you that a, that a business, if, or you talk with a lot of business owners, right? Yep. Is it, it, it's real to me that, that an organization, a business or a household will try to spend every dollar that it makes and then some, okay, look, right. look at, look at the government, look at any other entity organization, a business will spend exactly what it, what it, what, it'll try to spend everything that it makes. Okay. At the same time though, it will also make the exact amount of money it thinks it needs to make to survive. Okay. So said another way, a business will like when you first started your business, you had expenses. Did you make enough money to cover those expenses? Yeah. Well, I, I bought, I bought our practice, but some of the other businesses that I've started. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So far, everything has been fine. We've been able to make all those payments. Yes. Because there is a demand for income to cover those expenses. Right. Right. So every, you know, and you don't have the same expenses as you did when you first started, you have more expenses. Right. And what has happened because of that is that your income has, has matched what your demand for expenses are. So when I say that it's, um, it's interesting because a lot of people are like, okay, I think I understand that. But that, that, is, that is what happens in an organization is that when you really put the demand there, then you will find that the business will make the amount of money it needs to make to do that. You ever read the, the book Profit First? I think. Um, oh, yeah. Is, yeah. yeah. You should, so I'll, Mick Kling is a big, in our profession, Mick Kling is a big Profit First guy. And so, yeah. you know, his, I, I, I was going to ask you about that because, so Mick Kling is just, a, he's an OD and he kind of talks about these principles as well. Mm -hmm. And um, so sorry to, to take you off topic, but he, um, I, I would have to go back and think about um, profit first specifically, but that 10% is essentially a profit first Absolutely. Uh, principle. Yeah. It's the concept because when you start putting in your profits as actual expenditures, like when you classify them as expenses, okay, the business starts looking at them as an expense. Okay. And, you know, using that same data that I just talked to you about, uh, then it, it puts the demand for the, for the business to make that amount of money to cover that expense. Right. You know, most businesses will make the amount of money that they need to pay off their debts, to pay their payroll, to pay their marketing, to pay their drug bills. You know, you'll make enough money to do that. Well, why don't you just um, have that same mindset, but just include your profits as necessary expenditures in that equation. Right. And I think that's, that, that is the key right there is, is getting over that, that consideration that, that the business um, can't make a certain dollar amount. It can make as much as you think it can make. Why do you think, so I know the answer, the simple answer is because we weren't trained in business, but why do you think that that's such a foreign, because again, you're, you're absolutely right in the sense of, of, you know, we pretty much spend, no matter what we did, if, if I didn't invest, 
you know, if our, if our personally, so what I did with my financial advisor a few years back, um, was I said, look, I want to retire by the time I'm 55. Actually, mm-hmm. what I said was I want to be able to retire by the time I'm 55. And I actually never, um, which this has pr- changed my perspective. COVID has changed my perspective a little bit, but the, um, in that value proposition, when he told me, this is what you need, you know, he said, he basically walked it back. Like what you're talking about. Okay. This is what, um, this is probably what you're going to need. How do you want to live? How much you want to have income? Blah, 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 blah. And so we kind of worked it back and he said, all right, well, we're going to invest at this level. Mm-hmm. And in, in that nothing was, I never, I have never accounted for the sale of my business ever in this, in, in my financial picture. What, and, and so what it hit me is, is like, um, okay, I'm doing all, like what you're saying, I'm doing all these things. I'm investing at this level. I'm, I'm putting this money, but if I didn't invest at that level that I am, and, and I'm, you know, I'm 38 years old. So yeah. starting, starting seriously, and I had a 401k for years and years, but starting serious investment by the time I'm 33, 34, whenever that was, that was, um, you know, I, I need a lot more every month than if I would have been 26, but I didn't have any money at 26 or I didn't right. think I had any money at 26. <laughs> and so, um, the, the point is that I look at like, you know, our house is a great house. We are exactly where we want to be. We have exactly what we want to have, but then you, you're sort of like, Oh, well, I look at my income. I could afford a house that's twice as much or three times as much. And I, and I could take that money that I'm using to invest and spend it there. How many people do that where they're just kind of like, cause you're right. I spend every dollar that I make, but yeah. I spend it on other things like what you're talking about with, with business reserves and you know, other businesses and investments. And well, I think too, it goes back to, you know, if you're the difference between an expense and an investment, like if you're putting money into something that's going to return money to you and increase your cash flow for your household, that would, I would consider that an investment, right? Um, you know, an expense would be like, if you buy a house, I mean, the house is just a big expense. I mean, it's not an asset. It's not really an investment. I know that people would disagree with me there, but it is a money drain. Anybody that's ever owned a house for a long time, interest cost, you know, the, the upkeep, it is a money drain. Um, but it's also where I think people operate their, their lives from. So to me, it's important that you feel safe there, that you feel secure there and that you own it free and clear. And, you know, to me, that's, that's, that's a, I would definitely tell people to, if they're going to have a home, pay it off. I'll get a lot of disagreement with that. But, you know, for me, it's, it's, I've never met anyone. I've never met anyone. Okay. That had a house paid off, especially a practice owner that was in a bad financial condition. Yeah. Never. So, so that's the, that's the consternation. And I'll, I'll just use me as an example that I have. Okay. So, um, so I've got, um, on my mortgage oh, and I'll just use numbers. So, mm-hmm. so we paid off a lot. Uh, I've got about $200,000 left on my mortgage. Yep. And when I look at that, I say, okay. Um, so if I keep paying at the level I'm paying, it'll be paid off in seven years, about seven years from now. I think I've got eight kids. I don't know if you know that about me, but I've got eight kids. I saw that man. I mean, you still have a lot of hair too, man. <laughs> yeah. God, how did you do that? I've got less. <laughs> I've got less. Uh, and, um, and so, uh, so when I, I think about that and so, we're, and they're going to Catholic high school. So, you know, we put money already. My, my daughter's going to start Catholic high school, um, this fall. And so I've already put money in this big account and they're basically just drawing from it every month. So we didn't get any benefit really to pay all at once. So I just keep it in the account and, the, and I'll keep the money and make the interest. So I tell you all that to say, okay, $200,000. I look, all right, well, I'm going to take it. We haven't taken a distribution as owners 
uh, since January, which would have been our, or maybe it was December, our, basically our last 20, 2019 distribution. And we've just kind of held that money, you know, in place after all of this. Mm-hmm. And so we'll probably take a distribution in July. So it'll be a pretty big distribution. So, yep. all right, well then part of me is like, all right, I could just pay more. Or if I just change my monthly payment, it, the amount that I would, if I said, I want to be radical and get, get this debt, you know, two years, you know, it's like, that's 10 grand a month. You know, that's a lot. So, um, so to go from seven years down to five years is significant and go to five years down to two years is going to be a huge amount. And then the, on the end of that, if let's say if I got radical and killed it in two years, right. Or a year, 18 months, whatever it is, or I guess it'd be 20 months. Um, and I, and I do that the perspective I, the, the nagging part of my brain says, well, I have nothing afterward, right? Like I have, I could either have the $200,000 sitting in the bank or I could have my house paid for. Straighten me out. No, I, I mean, do? I think, you know, a lot of people that just want to attack debt, right? They, they think they're going to solve a problem, but they just create another one, right? Because mm-hmm. just like you said, I could take all this money and I could pay off all my debt, but then I don't have any reserves, right? Or I don't have anything else that, that's going to create, you know, cash flow for my household. So again, it just goes back to the perspective of, you know, when you set a plan for yourself, um, you know, set the targets really, really big. And then on a gradient, when I say a gradient, I'm talking about start small and then build up towards the point where you, you get to the point where you're funding everything that you want to at an optimum, right? And again, it just goes back to the restriction. I think the restriction that a lot of people have when it comes to money is that um, there's a scarcity of it. And as long as you set up flow, money flows, right? It's like an energy, it just flows. So you have to set up different, you know, paths for the money to go and then you direct it. Okay. But there isn't a restriction on how much you can make to do that. And again, for your, from your point of view, I would say, Hey, you know, you guys have a practice. I don't, you know, how many locations you have or, you know, how big you guys are are trying to get it. But I, I always go back to the practice owner because they do have control over the productivity and the efficiency uh, of the business. You do have control over that. You don't have control over the stock market. You don't have control over different types of markets. You don't have control over the tax system, right? But you do have control over your business. And, and that is again, where I think a lot of, um, practice owners are, they, they just kind of miss that point for some reason. It's like, you know, your, your business is your most valuable asset. It is the engine that creates your personal wealth and it is incumbent upon you to get that thing to max capacity and provide as much value for your household as you possibly get. The growth of your practice and your personal net worth should be aligned with one another. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be in a um, condition where, and maybe you've seen this where a lot of practice owners, they have these big practices, but they don't have anything to show for it at all. I mean, you've, you know, you've set up systems to be able to do that. And, but that's, I'm telling you right now, Christopher, that's rare. Hmm. You know, a lot of, a lot of single doctor practices or even practices that are doing two, three, four million dollars a year don't put those systems to, to transfer profits from the business to the parent company to create personal wealth, to get out of debt, all those things. Yeah. So it's, it is kind of interesting to observe. Yeah. So, so tell me then, um, I'd love to hear a, a success story. You've been doing this for how long? We've been doing this for, yeah, for 12 years. You know, it's funny because you said you started in 2008, right? <laughs> yep. So I, I jumped, moved to Florida in 2008, and that's when we started our financial planning firm, right? So 
that was that was smart. You know, yeah. in the middle of the, the global <laughs> economic crisis. Let's start a financial planning company. And we just had three criteria though when we started. It was uh, I want to work with owners because I, I like people that kind of have a vision and and and, and want to do something that creates something. Um, I wanted to make a meaningful impact on um, on their financial lives. I just didn't want to sell them an investment or insurance product. And I needed to work with people that I really believed in the kind of care that they gave. Like I don't work with a lot of different practice owners. I don't work with practice owners or, or people in the healthcare profession that, that push drugs and opioids as the only solution for, you know, any kind of malady. Mm. Um, so I have to really believe in the kind of care that you give. So when we started working, I think we started with physical therapists and, um, you know, we morphed into uh, veterinarians and of course optometrists, you know, because what, what is the product of an optometrist? It helps, they help people see better. And I know that a lot of them are struggling financially. So what can I do from my end to help them improve their financial condition? That's going to allow them to help more people see better. So that's, yeah. that's where we came from on that. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. So then, then in your, in your 12 years, um, and maybe it's an optometrist, maybe it's a veterinarian, maybe it's a physical therapist, but is there one story, and preferably it'd be optometry, that kind of sticks out in your mind where you, you kind of were able to, somebody found you, how'd they find you? And yep. then once they found you, what sorts of things did you help them transform where you're talking about, you know, maybe it's this just completely disorganized parent company or, you know, or business where you're able to now on the back end, you can just like, wow, this is, they're, you know, they're just, they're flourishing. I'll give you two. The first one I'll start with is 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 a uh, is a optometrist that had a killer practice. He had multiple locations. He was probably doing like four or five million dollars a year, which I think you know is considered a pretty big practice in, mm -hmm. in optometry, right? But he did not have. He was he was mired down in a ton of debt. He invested a lot of his money in like really like private placement, wacky investments. Mm -hmm. Um, he was paying, overpaying in taxes by, gosh, I can't tell you how much he was paying in taxes. Um, so, you know, I got him on a, and he wasn't taking any money personally and, and, and creating other uh, investments for it. He was just spending everything that he made. Hmm. Okay. So in about five or six years, you know, we started putting in these systems that allowed him to, you know, retain money better. So, you know, I think the, the last time I looked, you know, he had, you know, over a million dollars, you know, that he'd been able to, to, to sock away pretty quickly because he had a really, really uh, high productive practice. Um, I got his effective tax rate down from like 30 something percent down to about 20 something percent by just looking mm. at some basic strategies that he can, that he can use that, that I think some accountants may not um, necessarily do all the time. Can I ask you specifically? So like, give me yeah. two or three of those strategies that can help, help lower that, that, that are common that people miss. Yeah, from a from a tax from a tax standpoint, there's there's definitely a couple, and these are more advanced. And and you know, some accountants are going to say, "Oh gosh, stay away from that." Um, well, there's one thing that that everyone can do, uh, and it's um, it's called the Augusta rule. You can actually look this up. Um, it's a it's a way for uh, if you if you're a golfer, I don't know if you like to golf or anything like that, but I like um, going out and hanging out with people. Yeah, you you can try that. <laughs> So there's a rule in the tax code that basically says you can rent out your house for 14 days out of the year and get that income completely tax free. So imagine people that own a golf a house on like the Augusta golf course, they can rent their, their, their house out for $5,000 a day or whatever it would be. And that money comes to them completely tax free. 
So they don't have to pay a lick of tax on that. And you're thinking, well, I don't have a house on a golf course, so how do I apply that? Well, you do have or can have executive or officer meetings for your business, okay? And instead of going to you know, a hotel or a restaurant, um, you can actually have that meeting at your house, okay? And apply that rule to it. So I'll tell a lot of practice owners, call a hotel or a restaurant, get an estimate of how much they, for a whole day for a meeting, you would need to, to rent that place out. Let's say, let's say it's 2000 bucks a day, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, you can do that 14 days out of the year. That's $28,000 that you can use as a business expense and get that tax free for your household. That's hmm. 28 grand right there. That's, hmm. that's, pretty, that's, that's huge. Yeah, so, then, that's, so sorry, I'm going to, this, this is one good key. We don't have to go into the other ones cause I want to finish yeah. up on the story for this optometrist, but so, um, so then you, you have quotes for different, basically rental spaces, and then you have your meetings, your business meetings, whether yep. they're with owners or with staff or whatever, you have them physically at your house. You, you, can do, you have to document what you did, the minutes right. that you did, right? Just document it. I'll just put it in a full, manila folder, document what you did, what you talked about that day, uh, have an estimate from the restaurant that you were going to potentially do it at, just so that there's some record there that you got some kind of an estimate. And that, that should, that should satisfy an audit, you know, if you should get audited. Um, but it's, how many it's accountants pretty, push back on that? Uh, I've had none push back on that on some hmm. of the more advanced tax strategies. I've had plenty of them push back on, but on that one, that's, that's pretty standard. It's pretty simple and, and you know, anyone can do it. So yeah. huh. that would be one, you know, certainly putting your kids on the payroll, you know, you yep. can do that as well. That's a pretty standard one. Um, you know, if you own a building, you know, a lot of uh, people that you can do cost segregation studies on, on, a, on real estate to accelerate the depreciation. I mean, these, you know, these are, there's, I, I guess I found that, that most people go to their accountants for tax planning and that's not really what accountants do. They're more of a compliance officer. They're there to mm-hmm. make sure that you don't necessarily um, bend the rules too much, but you know, <laughs> But if you're, uh, uh, taxes are your biggest expense. I mean, if you really look at oh, it, yeah. that's oh, going to yeah. be your biggest expense. So if you don't know anything about the tax code, I can assure you the IRS is just going to assume that all the money that you make is theirs and you have yeah. to be proactive in, in really hammering it. So, um, you know, we've, we've researched about 21 different tax deductions that practice owners can, um, can utilize, you know, some of them, you know, you, you're probably already doing some of them you may not be doing. But I guess the point is, is that if you want to minimize your taxes, it really does take um, willingness, energy, effort, follow through and documentation. And uh, but it is possible. So people that they kind of sit out there and say, well, I can't. All my accountant tells me to do is just put a bunch of money in my 401k plan or spend money at the end of the year on equipment that I don't need. That's lazy tax planning. Hmm. You know, there's so many other things that you can do. You just have to make sure you, you work with someone that has some willingness to like, you know, have the viewpoint of, uh, you know, you don't have to pay all this money in taxes. I've never read anywhere where it says it's my civic duty as a productive citizen to maximum fund the IRS. Yeah. So, Even the people who want to take more of our money don't want to give it voluntarily to the IRS, right? That's right. <laughs> so, um, so, so finish up that story. So, so you're able to reduce his, his tax liability. That was a, that was a gem. Thank you for yeah. that. Um, the, uh, you were able to reduce his tax liability uh, and Tell me how it ends. Sales yeah. So, you know, r- right now he's, um, 
He's more profitable because we, we put in this, this demand for more profit. So now he's more profitable. So that makes his business more valuable when he, when he decides to sell it as well. So, you know, you, you, and, um, you know, and his debt, we've really attacked his debt and he's almost got everything paid off right now. So, but I didn't do all these things just one at a time. You know, the plan right. was to attack all of these things. Okay. And, and I put the onus on him as the business owner to say, look, my job as an advisor is, is, um, is to make sure that you pay attention to your money lines. You have to pay attention and stay aware to your money, not just twice a year, not just like, you know, at one review. It's like, it's like every month, you know, we have to like really hold you accountable for your financial actions. And, you know, part of the job of an advisor is just to make sure that you have, you keep your good habits in, you keep your mindset, you know, not in scarcity or, you know, in fear or anxiety, but you, you, you kind of feel like you're in control. So the end result for him was that, you know, his net worth, you know, increased, you know, I, I probably have to say from five to 6 million to eight to $9 million. Wow. Um, wow. His reserves went, and, and a lot of that was just due to, you know, I've changed his attitude and his thought process on, on money. And, yeah. and he probably, and, and that probably trickled down, not just from his household, but he even trickled down probably into the way he was managing his business. And, you know, uh, I mean, it probably just trickled all the way throughout. Yeah, correct. Uh, correct. And then, you know, there's another on a smaller scale, you know, we've worked with an optometrist that, um, you know, they first started out and, you know, we, again, we set up this system of, of taking 10% of their, of their practice revenue. And the first, the first uh, thing that she said was like, there's just no way my business is going to be able to sustain that. Right. And then we look back a year later and I say, okay, here's, I'm going to, I'm going to make you a bet. Okay. I want you to look at your business checking account right now. And I'm going to bet you that it's going to be higher. We're still going to do this 10% distribution every single month. Right. But I bet your, your business account's going to be higher. She's like, there's no way. So we looked one year from that day and her business account was higher and she had another hundred thousand dollars sitting outside of that. You see? So it was just, it was a consideration that the, the business wasn't going to make the money to cover it. It does a hundred percent of the time. Unless it's so you're just crazy. Yeah. It's so crazy just, how it works. It is. It's, it's, that's the, the consideration on money. It's like you create it, you know, you are energy producing, you know, as a, as a business owner, you, you can produce it. So you're starting to sound like Joel Olstein. A little bit, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> I, I okay. get pumped up about this. I just no, like, it's I, cool. I, I, I love to see practice owners win. I, lo I love to see them. I don't like to see them struggle and have that mindset that it's only so much. Right. And, um, but their businesses are the engine. So you really have to pay attention to that. And you, you can't like neglect your money lines inside of your business. And that's yeah. where I see a lot of people have, have done that, unfortunately. Awesome. Well, I'm mean, not awesome, but, but I think yeah. there's so much, there's so much um, help that, that, that can be provided for people. So let me, let me, I think that's a good place to end it. Eric, tell me where can people find you? Um, and, uh, and then, well, actually, let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you meet with, are you meeting with the, with your, with your clients? Are you meeting with them on a, on a monthly basis or they're just revisiting their goals on a monthly basis? No, we have a, a system that was set up kind of going back to like what, what, and again, I'm not trying to bash traditional financial no, advisors, no, but no, it, no. It, it, it usually is. This is where I think people get the, the misnomer or the misconception that if I'm going to work with an advisor, they're, they're kind of all alike. You know, there's definitely advisors that specialize. You know, there's advisors that specialize in working with pastors and engineers and, um, 
you know, corporate executives. We've, we've just created our system for, for practice owners, okay? And we built it specifically for them. So, you know, our service model is, is it's not, you know, just putting in an investment account and talking to you maybe once or twice a year just to monitor the performance of your investments. It really is more of like a monthly thing where we want to we wanna make sure that you're, um, you're staying on top of, of all of the metrics and, and, you know, you have to have measurables. You have to have things that you're measuring uh, every month so that you know that you're staying on track towards wherever you want to get to. So it's definitely not a static thing. It is something that is very proactive and it's an accountability system more than anything else. And it's a bit painful for owners sometimes because they're not used to having someone else run them on this line, right? So we get a little bit of pushback in the beginning, but I think it's good to have a boss, don't I you? Think I think it, somebody's going to be a boss. It, yep. if someone's got to be a boss. I think it's good to have a boss and, and, and just push you uh, towards potential that you didn't know that you had, especially financially. Cool. Um, but to get a hold you? of us, yeah, to get a hold of us, uh, you can just go to wealthforoptometrist.com, wealthforoptometrist.com, and we have a free uh, a financial success guide for uh, that was written specifically for optometrists. We'll we'll get into some of the metrics that that we think um, optometrists should be keeping track of, and uh, you know, go through a little bit about our viewpoints in our system about making sure that you run your household like a business. Awesome, Eric Miller, thank you so much. Yeah, brother. That was awesome. Thanks so much. It was a lot of fun. Maybe I'll reach out to you and we can do this again. I'd love it.